1: We're constantly looking at different sensors spread all over the Internet. We still constantly take a look, and we have different like statistics modules and filters that look at and try to find something interesting. And the Hexman popped up as this really scripted attack that was dropping something that was completely
0: unknown. That's Daniel Goldberg, a security researcher at Guardcore Labs. The research we're discussing today is called Beware the Hexmen, and it tracks multiple attack campaigns conducted by a Chinese threat actor, the Guardicore team identified three attack variants that they named Hex, Hanako, and Taylor that target SQL servers.
1: So it goes into our queue to take a look, and we take it open, and we realize that the attack is kind of interesting, kind of different from what we've seen before, attacking SQL servers. Okay, so it's like, okay, let's start taking it, let's start taking it apart, figuring out what's going on, and we're like, okay, one attack, one binary, second attack, second binary, and so forth. At some point, after like 30 different malware samples, we're like, okay, we got something serious on our hands. From that point on, then it starts like you start unraveling the thread of like trying to find different things, putting it together. And then we found like three different attack campaigns all connected through the same infrastructure.
0: We have the three different attack campaigns that are part of what you're calling the Hexman trio. You've got Hex, Taylor, and Hanako. Um, shall we walk through each of those individually? Just
2: before Daniel starts to uh, walk through the three scenarios, uh, one more word about the, uh, the way that we first discovered the Hexman. That's
0: Ofri Ziv. He's the vice president of research and head of GardaCore Labs.
2: We have a system based on the GardaCore technology. Basically, this network of sensors, of GardaCore sensors, is based on uh, the GardaCore deception technology, uh, which we just, uh, you know, exposed to the Internet this allows us to see a uh, lot of uh, malicious internet activity together with lo- a lot of knowns like uh, configure worms and the uh, to cry attacks next to those guys you have the new and maybe sometimes more interesting uh, campaigns and hexman is is exactly this example where this internet facing uh, system allows us to detect uh, this new thing, a new type of malware. And after after the system tracks those attackers uh, and generate this malicious incident for us, then uh, we take a deeper look into it and try to do the further investigation to do something like connect the three campaigns into a single, uh, under a, a, a one roof. This is something... Uh, that need the, the extra expertise, and this is something that Daniel can elaborate on. All
0: right, Daniel, why don't you take us through? We've got these uh, three components here. What did you discover?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually gonna go like reverse chronologically, and I'm gonna start with talking about Taylor and Hanako, and then work back to Hex. Okay. This is not the order we discovered them. So Taylor is, at some point, the interesting widespread botnet campaign you could read about. and In fact, Taylor was partially discovered previously, not by us as uh, a worm, uh, spreading through SQL servers with attacks based from Linux and Windows machines uh, that seems to have a keylogger and backdoor component. And the reason for the name Taylor is very simple, uh, as it downloads the backdoor by hiding the data inside an image of Taylor Swift. Hmm. This is simple and it works perfectly well because most centers see, okay, you're downloading a JPG, it's all fine. And only when you open it up the image, you're like, okay, this is full of junk. And there's this, a lot of binary code here that contains the keylogger. The other one is Hanako. Hanako is a pretty like big DDoS, I'm gonna say campaign that attacks different uh, machines. This is probably like if you had to think of the arch typical botnet, this would probably be it. It attacks Windows and Linux machines. It tries to brute force them. MySQL and, and, and uh, MS SQL servers. The interesting part there is mostly that it's very similar and yet it's unique, Mm -hmm. but these are less interesting. Now I'm going to reach the Hex variant, where we started from. Okay. And the interesting part there is that it seems to focus on Windows MSSQL servers, which are really widespread a lot more than you would think for a non-free offering, and they are incredibly varied. We've counted over 300 different uh, sub-variants in this attack, which means the, the attackers are pretty much going, okay, we're probably going to get caught somewhere, so we're going to make sure every attack looks slightly different. Hmm. So if you were, were going to be like this analyst looking at the list of uh, indicators of compromises, IOCs, you're going to be like, okay, another small one, another small one. But if you look at the attack flow, which was what we were looking at, because we were starting as, hopefully said, from the deception service then we're seeing, okay, these are all identical. They're just dropping slightly different binaries.
0: Well, take us through that attack flow.
1: The attack flow is really long. It's one of the longest brute force attacks I've seen. It tries out by starting to connect to an SQL server. And once it's in, what it does is make sure that it can hide from uh, auditing by uh, turning off every possible audit method. And then it's going to try to actually attack using a variety of different methods. So the thing is, there's usually like three well-known attack methods for SQL servers. The most famous one is just loading a plugin that lets you execute shell commands. Our attackers don't necessarily avoid one or the other, they just use each of them in a way that tries to go under the radar and uses each attack for the best it can. For example, they write files to disk not by outputting to shell commands long strings, but they use a sub database, access database, classic ones that are also installed with the SQL server to write uh, files to disk. And this looks very legitimate. This is not a shell command piping data around the system that, in, that some monitoring tool could see. It's more like, okay, SQL server wrote a file to disk. Who the hell knows what SQL server is doing? Hmm. Uh, same thing is so to change uh, registry settings and security settings instead of, uh, instead of again, okay, let's uh, turn off everything in a noisy manner. We're gonna use WMI, uh, Windows Management Instrumentation classes, and we're going to uh, configure them so everything is turned off. We're gonna make sure that the security settings allow us to change everything, and we're gonna do, again, everything through the SQL Server process. It's only the really last moment when everything is ready that they use shell commands to actually run their tools. At that point, from a standard security software perspective, All SQL Server is doing is is executing a file that's already installed properly on disk, that is configured properly to be permissible to SQL Server to execute, and everything looks okay.
0: And part of what it's doing, it's uh, disabling antivirus software, yes?
1: Yeah, that's in the second stage, after it's starting to execute its own code and not through the SQL Server, is to methodically kill antivirus software. And it's very methodical about this. Uh, by trying like, I think it was about around 20 different products, both known antiviruses that you might even uh, have tried at some point and really uh, unique ones. It explicitly tries to kill an antivirus called BullGuard, which is aimed at the gamer crowd, which I didn't know was a real antivirus market segment. But it knows about it and it also tries to kill it. Hmm.
0: Now, it's interesting in your research here that you've broken the attack infrastructure uh, into three different classes of, of steps, basically. You've got the scanning, the attacking, and the initial implant. Yeah.
1: So you're right. And the split is something we've started to see a lot more in botnets the last few years. We've also seen it last year when we saw a botnet we called Botnet that was also attacking servers. The idea is you don't see, as a defender, a lot of traffic uh, to any particular server. You're breached, you're scanned by a specific server, but you're breached by a completely different server. It's harder for you as a defender to connect the to events, and after the breach, the communication to download the further Trojan stages happen towards a third server. As a defender, it's very hard for you to piece together what's going on. I see. That's one strong advantage. The second is, all this is infrastructure is hosted on previously compromised machines, meaning from the attacker's perspective, he's not... Risking anything and in fact, it's easier for him by spreading out his infrastructure to all different machines So if some administrator notices, oh wait, I'm serving malware. I should probably not be doing that It wasn't a horrible blow to these cyber criminals. They're like, okay next server next
0: So they've got a widespread distributed network of compromised machines that they can implement to uh, to do their business here
1: Yeah we're talking at least three hundred attacking IPs just in a in a one month period,
2: and we saw a similar number of file servers spread around the world. Yeah, I, I think I think that this this infrastructure it makes lots of sense for an attacker because stopping him become much tougher. It it is it is basically very hard for us as a security community to stop uh, this attack at once. So what we can do basically is we can. We can try to block it uh, in different places, but overall, the fact that it is using so many servers uh, across continents, across countries, makes the blocking uh, procedure very, very complicated. And another thing, uh, and this is maybe something that uh, you can look at uh, to distinguish between maybe criminals which might be more advanced because they are using this distributed uh, infrastructure. Those guys are more advanced than maybe like a script kitty or someone that just tried to run something from from one single host that he owns. Uh, I think that the second step that we didn't see here, and this is maybe what will distinguish those guys from the larger APTs and maybe a nation uh, uh, cyber uh, operations, is the fact that eventually those guys are attacking from compromised machines, but they are Mm -hmm. uploading all their capabilities on them. And I think that the the next step, what maybe makes the larger APT uh, operations is that they are attacking through compromised machines, but they will never uh, host their, uh, I don't know, uh, exploits and their tools on them. Because if one of those machines will get hacked back or if someone will try to look deeper into it, they wouldn't want uh, their tools to be uh, captured by someone else.
0: So, Afri, in terms of uh, prevention and mitigation, uh, what are your recommendations there?
2: So, I think that there are several different things that need to be taken care of. First of all, people should, as always, need to uh, make sure that they are using uh, strong credentials. Uh, If they can use two-factor authentication, those are like the obvious things. But as we saw in the past, and we keep seeing it uh, over and over again, people have hard time to uh, be able to actually manage their credentials properly and the, even their services that are exposed to the internet. So I think that in order to actually be able to prevent such uh, uh, incidents to happen in, in, in your network, what you need to do is you need to be able to actually be aware of all your internet-facing services as, as a first thing. Many of those servers that we we saw got uh, that got compromised in this campaign are servers that uh, I would say people, uh, I'm not sure that people are actually aware of them. Some of them weren't patched for a long time. Uh, some of them were with, with very, very, their credentials was, I, I don't know, they used default passwords or, or other unmethodological, uh, methodological uh, uh, from the defensive side. Being on top of what you have, what is facing the internet, uh, is a very, very important first stage. And then, when you w- once you know this, it will be much easier for the IT manager or, or the security uh, uh, officer of, of such a network to make sure that those servers are patched all the time, that they are using the most advanced credentials and uh, methods. I think those are like the two key things as we see it in, in such a campaign like the Hexman.
0: And Daniel, in terms of attribution, uh, who do you think is responsible here?
1: So attribution is always something scary to do because we don't have evident proof. But Mm. in this case, it's really clear that we can tie this to Chinese and cyber criminals as the same thing. In this case, we're talking about dozens of examples of Chinese comments, Chinese emails, uh, using different code fragments, focusing on Chinese software. They have an example where they mimic a very popular Chinese music streaming program as one of their Trojans. We don't know the name of the developer, know where he lives, but we definitely know that his email address is a popular Chinese service. He writes comments to himself in Chinese. The compile paths are Chinese. Now this is a smoking gun, but it really adds up really quickly. Mm -hmm. And the second uh, thing is, this is a very much criminal-oriented enterprise. We're seeing both cryptocurrency mining, there's a DDoS component. It's not really about uh, let's stick around here for the next two years extracting information. It's more in the trend of, okay, we, we got in, let's get the maximum value we can out of this host. Uh, while they leave themselves the option of to exfiltrate data or ransom data and stuff, but they're really focused on let's get profit running out of this machine.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to me in your research that uh, you described how they'll get in and use a machine for a certain amount of time, and then they'll get out and move on to another machine.
1: Yeah, so this is very much depends on the variant, but they don't, for example, as part of their compromised infrastructure, they don't stick with the same attacking server or scanning server for more than a few days or max a week or two. We don't know their internal thought process, but it could be like, okay, we have something we go and want it before anybody gets suspicious.
0: So explain to me, uh, to, to sort of st- take a step back uh, at a high level here, um, What is why, why are these three grouped together, Hex, Taylor, and Hanako? What's the common thread between them?
1: They have multiple common threads, in a way. Uh, one of the main things, they share uh, attack techniques, up until a very late stage, they run the exact same commands, which is not very likely for an independent attacker to do. Mm. This isn't some exploit kit you down from the internet. This is something like they wrote, they debugged, they use, and we see them iterate over it. We also see a lot of shared infrastructure, which is pretty much the smoking gun, the same IP can be used to attack and deploy both a HEX malware binary and a Taylor binary in the next attack, depending on the time, of the, the time of the attack. They have the same scripts and they're sending money to the same cryptocurrency wallets. For all intents and purposes, we can't tell the different attackers apart. Maybe there's some subgroup that's building this botnet and that botnet. Where we sometimes see that, but in this case, it's they're really working together.
0: I see.
2: Yeah, and, the thing, and another thing that we can add maybe about those attackers is the fact that they are evolving. So, I mean, we, we've been tracking them for several weeks and maybe a bit longer, and we saw how those attacks are actually becoming uh, more and more sophisticated. They, those guys, they learn. They learn fast and they make their tools better. They add more mechanisms to uh, not being caught by different security products. They're good and they're getting even better. And I'm sure that once they will get over with those three variants, they will continue to do something else, something even more advanced. So I think that attackers, just as the defenders, they are getting better and better. Very interesting uh, things are ahead of us.
1: A lot of hype for obvious reasons go to the flashy and sophisticated attacks. But In this case, this is a botnet of the very minimum high thousands of machines, all of them servers. And it's alive and it's going to stick around because, as we said, it's, very, it's going to be very hard to take down. And this is going to cause a lot of real damage. We're talking thousands of database servers, let's be honest here, which are probably containing customer data, patient data. We don't know what's going on behind there. And that's what's compromised. And we see this happening again and again, meaning we can't just focus on the big flashy stuff, we can't just focus on the latest meltdown or the la- latest zero day, when this is the second botnet we found just this year that's taking tens of thousands of machines uh, for its own purposes. At some point we need to focus back uh, on the basic stuff. And the second is, again, we're seeing again again, patch yourself, handle yourself. And these guys are getting in by old vulnerabilities or brute forcing passwords. To use the really cliche statement, it's 2018. Really? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I think that maybe this specific, what they are using at the end, maybe it's not like the most uh, dangerous thing for us or even their victims because, okay, so maybe they will need to pay some uh, more money to the uh, on the power that their machines are taking or they might uh, be, their network might be used by someone else. I think that the, the more... Danger part is what will happen next. So, what we saw is is we saw A DDoS, we saw cryptocurrency, but we also saw keylogger and the backdoor. So, this variant can at a later stage, I don't know. This machine can be sold to someone else or be used <laughs> by these attackers for another purpose. They might take this. Uh, maybe this is a single server that someone forgot to patch or or didn't notice about him and. and from this point, uh, those attackers can move forward inside this network. As Daniel mentioned in, uh, before, we we keep seeing people making mistakes. You know, everyone makes mistakes, and, and, and it's, it's natural that I don't know any network uh, that cannot be breached somehow in, from some uh, using some attack vector. And I think that it is very important to also not only invest in the perimeter and the, on the servers that are actually exposed to the internet, it is also very important to, to think about what will happen next. So what will happen once one of my f- internet-facing servers will get hacked? Will my defense be able to, to detect other lateral movements uh, inside my network? Uh, what will the attacker be able to fetch from this point? And I think this is another very important lesson that we should take from this example.
0: Our thanks to Daniel Goldberg and Ofri Ziv from gardecore Labs for joining us. Their full report, Beware the Hexmen, is available on the gardecore website. visit N-E-T-S-K-O-P-E dot